Welcome back to episode 110 of the Draft FC podcast. Welcome back to the Draft FC podcast, podcast dedicated to all things Draft FPL. My name is Mitch and I'm your host for a bonus episode reviewing the new January editions and I will also discuss the internal transfers of players we are already familiar with. The Premier League spent a record £815 million in the January transfer window, which is virtually double the previous record in 2018 and even more staggering when you compare it to La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga and Liga 1, who spent a combined £220 million. And the biggest elephant in the room is Chelsea, who themselves spent £323 million on new players, which again is more than the rest of the top European leagues combined, with the last-minute signature of Enzo Fernandez for £107 million, adding a decent wedge to the already lofty total. Some of the new signings have already been in action for their respective clubs, which helps us to evaluate where they sit in the pecking order, with some of the later signings only stepping out for the first time in the last couple of weeks. The easiest way to do this is to whiz through club by club, and I'll also give my grade on how well I feel their window went, and will of course be judging each player through a draft FPL lens. So let's get into it. So let's start with Arsenal. They spent just under £50 million on a few players, a couple of which we're very familiar with, starting with Leandro Trossard, who had obviously fallen out in Brighton and they managed to pick him up for £27 million, which is pretty good business from uh, my opinion. He's kind of looked like the 21-22 Trossard so far in the couple of appearances we've seen. He doesn't need to score 10 goals. He just needs to be a safe pair of hands to take the strain off of Martinelli. Um, And so far, he seems to have slotted in pretty much all right. They also added a new centre-back, Kirior. Um, I don't really know much about him other than what I've read since signing. He's a centre-back, he's quick, and barring an injury of the two we already know, I don't think we'll be seeing too much of him at the moment. And the last addition was Jorginho. He's moved across from Chelsea. Not a great introduction with the result uh, in the last game, but I think it was a solid squad signing for Arsenal. We're all familiar with his strengths. And if Arsenal do need more of a metronome in central midfield, he's a decent switch they can turn to. I've given Arsenal's January window a B plus. I think they've strengthened in a couple of areas that they needed to, one for the future. They've not lost any key figures. um, So I certainly don't think these signings have hindered their title chances. But how much they have to rely on them down the stretch will be the proof in the pudding as to whether they were good enough to maintain that title charge. Next is Aston Villa. Not a huge amount of business. They brought Alex Moreno in early in the window. Um, Emery hates Luca Dina, so he'll be a Villa defender to turn to if you like their fixture in any given week. And then they signed uh, John Duran for 18 million. Reasonably untested prospect um, who could be interesting if Watkins gets injured because he's a, a forward. Um, but at just 19, he's one for the future. I've given Villa a D. Mediocre additions that don't really immediately improve the first 11 and the loss of Danny Ings means they're reliant on a number of players who are not natural goal scorers to provide the goals. This feels like a club already planning for the summer with the season set to finish comfortably in mid-table. Moving on we've got Bournemouth who are actually one of the most active teams in the January transfer window spending just over £70 million. First one was Dango Uatara, spent £20 million on him, he went straight into the starting eleven and got his assist in his first appearance in the 1-1 draw with Nottingham Forest, and then played 90 minutes again in the next league game away at Brighton. 
He looks really exciting, pretty raw talent on the right-hand side. Um, and given how he's looked already, I'm pretty sure he'll continue to play there. Next is Antoine Semenyo for £9 million. Again, he came in for a full 90 in the last Premier League game against Brighton. Young Ghanaian signed from Bristol City. I'll be honest, I can't say much about him, but his numbers are far from spectacular for a centre-forward. So we'll see how he fares in the Premier League. I reckon the only reason we saw him go straight in is because uh, Solanke was injured. Um, I reckon he's going to be more of a backup to Solanke. And once he comes back, he will be the first choice. Got Matthias Vina on loan from Roma. Left-sided players fallen out of favour since Mourinho came in. Nothing to suggest he should be an FPL option. Ilya Zabani, uh, twenty million pound centre back from Dynamo Kiev, um, has somehow managed to play eighty-four games despite just being twenty years old, and has also managed twenty-four international caps already. He will be slotting straight into the first eleven, but it would take um, a distinct change of form before I consider a Bournemouth defender anyway. He picked up an injury of some kind just as he joined um, his last training session with Kiev. Um, and I haven't really heard any update on his return, but I imagine as soon as he's fit, he will be in the team. And then finally, they signed Hamed Traore for 21 million. Versatile attacking midfielder. He's already got 140 Serie A appearances at just 22 years old. Again, one I expected to see go straight into the first 11, um, who has done lots of skill, fun to watch. Um, but Bournemouth can't afford... Too many luxury players, though, and he'll need to deliver returns like the rest of them sooner rather than later. I've given Bournemouth um, a B plus. I like the calibre of the additions they've added and the money spent means even if these gambles don't pay off uh, and they find themselves in the championship next season, they should be able to at least profit on these guys if they put up a good showing. Um, there are definite improvements to the starting eleven here, but if I were a Bournemouth fan, I'd be wondering why some of this money couldn't have been spent six months ago when AFC Bournemouth were top of the league. Next, on to Brentford. Not a huge amount of business for them. They brought in Kevin Shade from uh, Freiburg on loan with a view to a permanent deal in the summer. Looks like he's got lots of very good attributes. We saw him come on for the last 15, 20 minutes in their 3-0 league win against Southampton at the weekend. And given the possible outlay that they will have to spend in order to make that move permanent, they will want to get a good look at him. And I think Visser could end up being the one um, to make way as he did so in that substitution in that match. Um, and I wonder if we start to see the new guy play off the left. Next is Brighton. Uh, I've given them a C. Uh, they signed a couple of pretty unknown players, uh, Fukundo Buonanotti and Yasin Ayari, um, both very young central midfield players. I mean, the fact that Brighton bought them out of obscurity means they're probably world-class um, Trossard obviously is a loss but he wasn't going to be there beyond this season anyway and I think they got a pretty fair price for him the key I think for them was holding on to Caicedo um, though again I don't see how he's there beyond the summer either considering um, the stink he kicked up right let's go on to Chelsea obviously I could have made a, a whole separate podcast just to go through their list a number of players on here um, first one was Benoit Badia-Chile um, he stepped straight into defence alongside Thiago Silva and he looks like an absolute beast. He looks top class and out of all of their signings, he's probably been the uh, the most impressive so far. Uh, and I think he continues um, to, to hold that spot down for the rest of the season. So definitely one to grab if he's available in a lot of leagues. Chelsea have pretty decent fixtures through into, uh, through into April. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's too soon to grab him if he if he hasn't already been picked up. Um, then there was David Fafana, new young forward who we've seen a little bit of so far. Basically, the only proper 
happy forward that they've got in the squad if you discount Aubameyang. Looks very raw. I'm not sure he's one that they're going to be looking to rely on to uh, to win games, but I'm sure we'll continue to see him off the bench, um, particularly when they're chasing games. So yeah, I'm not sure I can really advocate for him in, um, in draft FPL unless you're in a really big league of 16, you could take a gamble on him. But they would have to have so many injuries in order for him to become uh, a guaranteed first choice starter. They then signed a young Brazilian central midfielder, just 18, Andre Santos. Spent a few quid on him. I uh, don't have the number in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was over 25 million. Uh, haven't really seen any of him much at the moment. Again, I think he's probably one for the future. Jao Felix obviously came in for a £10 million loan deal, got sent off on his debut and will be available again this weekend for their match against West Ham. And I expect him to uh, to go back into the eleven because I think he is a bit of a missing link that uh, that they need. And I think if he'd have been playing in that last match against Fulham, they may have been able to get a result there. Um, then Mikhailo Mudrik for £62 million, young Ukrainian left-sided attacker, I've not really been too fussed with what I've seen from him so far. The numbers that he had on paper coming into the league uh, were nothing special at all. This is a guy who has been bought purely on the, um, you know, on a scouting report and hype. And it's a lot of money for, for somebody where that is really all you're going on. It sounds like somebody must have really stuck their neck out and vouched for him as a prospect. But um, yeah, we haven't really seen it so far. And That's not me judging him. Um, completely obviously he's only made a couple of appearances which isn't enough but even still I haven't really seen any indication that he's worth the money that they paid for him and when he was subbed in that last game it was the next guy Noni Medeke um, young English talent who came off the bench to replace him again another player that they they forked out a decent amount for another versatile winger can play off either side or up front if he has to. Came up through the Spurs ranks and then moved to PSV where he's had pretty good run in the first team for the last couple of years. Again, too early to to judge, but I haven't seen anything quite yet that's, um, that's really setting the world on fire. And one I've just got half an eye on so far for, um, for draft FPL. And then Enzo Fernandez uh, said bought on deadline day for £106, million, pounds. Um, we saw him a bit at the World Cup. He's um, got a huge amount of potential, raw energy in central midfield there, um, wants the ball all the time, can make a progressive pass. Um, I think he's probably going to turn out to be one of the best signings of this window, um, aside, aside from uh, Badiashili at the back. He'll have to get up to the pace of the league and he's in a position there where putting the kilometres in is a bare minimum, um, but he looks like he's happy to do that and didn't look too out of place in, in his debut against Fulham, but wasn't his best performance. So I'm sure that'll have given him a bit of a wake-up call to what the Premier League's about. And yeah, not really one for, for FPL. He's kind of in that Casemiro bracket where if Chelsea had a double game week, I'd probably consider picking him up um, because he's sort of five or six points more or less guaranteed. Um, but But otherwise, not one I'd be looking at. So overall, I've given Chelsea an A for their January transfer window. You can't really spend £393 million and not get at least an A. The only reason I'm not giving them an A plus is because I feel um, this should have also been a good opportunity to get rid of a lot more Deadwood beyond Jorginho. There are a number of players who improve the first 11 right now and potentially for years to come. As I said, Badeshili and Enzo Fernandez are the most obvious two for me with the rest sort of uh, punts. 
but they've taken so many of those punts. They only need one or two of the others to pay off uh, and they'll be in a good spot. Not a very exciting window for Crystal Palace. Uh, they brought in Sambi Lokonga on loan for Arsenal and also signed Nauru Armada, a £10 million midfielder. Uh, we've obviously seen a little bit of Lokonga over the last couple of years and Armada is a young central midfielder. I think with Milivojevic's time basically numbered now at Palace and Schlupp having to be used as more of a utility player, central midfield is... Uh, is a spot that they're sort of lacking at the moment. And I guess these two guys just give them a little bit of extra cover. So uh, I've given them a C, nothing exciting. No, neither of them really FPL assets and it doesn't really change much for how I rate Crystal Palace this season. Uh, Everton should be fairly brief. They didn't make any signings. They're now off the bottom thanks to that 1-0 win against Arsenal last week. I'm not giving them an F because I think of, uh, well, because of one key signing and that's Sean Dyche. Um, the squad isn't great but it's miles above the Burnley squad that he kept competitive in the Premier League for a few years um, the biggest challenge he'll face is the Everton crowd it was a pretty feel-good atmosphere in his first game but we've seen that that can quickly become quite toxic um, but hopefully they can all buy into what he's doing the fact that they got off to uh, a winning start will very much help things there and he's got a very simple task which is to get Everton to finish at least 17th in the league and I think when I have a look at the uh, the teams down there, uh, Southampton, Bournemouth, Leeds, Wolves, Leicester, Forest, Palace, um, he's definitely good enough to take enough points off those guys and get them comfortably up towards mid-table come the end of the season. Fulham next, and they didn't spend very much in January, just £8 million on Sasa Lukic for some central midfield cover. Um, they also brought in Cedric Suarez on loan for Arsenal just to give them a bit more cover at the back and also signed Duffy from Brighton who's obviously fallen way down the pecking order now given that they're hell-bent on keeping the average age of that team below 20 years old. Uh, I've given them a C, I've given them a pass because really any silly money spent now would more than likely backfire. They're sat in seventh with the Premier League football basically guaranteed for next year so um, they get a pass mainly for not rocking the boat and if you do rock the boat at Fulham you'll be in the Thames before you can say Scotty Parker. Right, on to Leeds then. Bit chaotic there at the moment. Uh, since I was prepping this episode, Marsh has been sacked, which obviously throws the starting eleven slightly up in the air. But to be honest, given the squad that they've got, including these new signings, I still think the eleven more or less picks itself. Uh, Max Rober, £10 million centre-back, who's come straight into the eleven, Looks reasonably comfortable there, but... Doesn't look like he's going to turn them into clean sheet merchants. Um, Jorginho Ruta, obviously big money spent on him, £35 million. Bamford sort of continuing to look rather lacklustre. So I imagine we will see a bit more of him as the season progresses. And I say at £35 million for Leeds, he is not the sort of player that you can really afford to keep on the bench. Weston McKenney, um, most people will be familiar with from his international duty with uh, the US national team, obviously now uh, recreates his uh, his international central midfield partnership by joining Tyler Adams in there. And I guess also um, joins Brendan Ariston, the other, other Yankee in there too. So um, yeah, starting to assemble uh, a little international group there. I'm not sure he's a massive consideration for draft FPL. He'll mainly be a sitting midfielder. I'm sure he will pop up with the odd assist and the odd the odd goal from range, but otherwise just one to keep an eye on. And then they signed a young centre-back, Diego Monteiro, um, who's just for their development squad. 
Um, I've given them a B. I think it has to be at least a pass of the, as they've definitely strengthened their first 11. McKenney seems like less of a need and more of a want, but I think he does add something to the squad and allows them a bit more tactical flexibility if they want to break away from the 4-2-3-1 that we're used to seeing them uh, line up as for the last couple of years um, and allows them to go as more of a 4-3-3. Next is Leicester, and they were reasonably busy. Uh, another team who... I wonder why they weren't so busy in back in August rather than having to try and play catch-up. Um, they signed Victor Christiansen, um, made his debut against Aston Villa along with a couple of others who I'll get to and perform very well. It was a performance that will certainly earn him, I think, the starting spot moving forward at left-back and we'll have to wait and see if he's able to contribute any attacking figures. And there's Tete, loan from Shakhtar Donetsk and... Um, if we can say anything about the lad, he's definitely an upgrade on AOC Perez. It seems an odd move, but if you're Shakhtar, you just want him in the shot window and we're better than the Premier League. There's a very good chance he's playing in the Champions League somewhere next season. And if I can say anything about him, it's that I'd have him at Spurs. Uh, we, of course, saw him make his debut against Villa and he took his goal very well to cap off a very well-rounded performance. He will start the rest of Leicester's run in. The only annoying thing is their run for the rest of February, which is Spurs, United and Arsenal. Though the fixtures do open up after that. Depending on where you are in your league will determine how long you can afford to wait on him. But I feel he could be good enough to smuggle away in this very next waiver window. Harry Souter, Australian international who uh, we saw in all four of Australia's games at the World Cup a couple of months ago, joins from Stoke where he made 70 appearances. And like Tete, he also made his debut in that Villa game. Um, and like Tete, also scored in his debut, though sadly at the wrong end. They obviously went on to win the game, so it's not the end of the world. And maybe he's just getting out of his system early um, before going on to be a rock at the back. Leicester have been desperate for a decent centre-back for some time now. Um, and they'll be hopeful that uh, he can make the step up to this level. They also picked up Nathan Apoku, who's a young striker prospect, who I think will just be for the development squad. I have to give Leicester a solid pass because the signings are making an immediate impact on the first 11. Tete alone, I feel, earns you a C, and I think between the other two, it bumps them to a B. Uh, a centre-back was their biggest need, and I'm not quite convinced Suter moves the needle that much right now, which is the thing that keeps them from getting an A. Not much to add for Liverpool. Their only signing is Cody Gakpo, who we've already covered um, since he joined nearly a month ago now. Would Liverpool have signed him with a fully fit squad? I'm not so sure, but then many successful January signings are made to cover injuries. And at 37 million, it's not too much money to spend on such a good prospect. I've not seen anything yet which would put him on a par with the likes of Luis Diaz or Jota. Uh, and I feel as soon as Jota is fit, which sounds close, he will then be just used as an impact player, which may suit him a lot better as he's still finding his feet in the league. He was one you sort of had to go for in the waivers when he joined, but I certainly wouldn't be going after him in any trades uh, and would happily listen to any offers if somebody else was after him. I've given them a C because I do like the signing from a value potential point of view, and I'm not sure how they could have improved on the squad majorly without spending kind of silly Chelsea money which ain't going to happen when the club is for sale. A quiet window for Manchester City. They bought Maximo Peroni as a um, central defensive midfielder, prospect, just 20 years old, £8 million. Said not very exciting, but similarly with Liverpool, in order to improve on their squad, it would have taken some monumental spends, which never really seemed likely or necessary. 
Um, I'm nudging the score to a C because I think moving Cancelo on will prove to be very worthwhile. For Man United, uh, they brought in a few faces. Um, Butland came in just to act as a as a new backup keeper because Dubravka went back to Newcastle. Um, Root Veghorst, again, similar to Gakpo, we've covered him a couple of times on the pod already this month because he's been there a few weeks. He's not done quite as well as I thought he would do. Martial kind of being back, although he sounds like he's injured again, um, will, will obviously hamper his chances and his minutes. And in terms of a draft prospect, he is just slightly nudging down in my estimations because he's acting more of a distraction for the defence rather than an out-and-out threat himself. But it is allowing things to open up massively for the likes of Rashford, Bruno Fernandes, Sancho, I guess, coming into the frame again. All those guys um, should just act as a foil, really, to allow them to create a lot more. But whether he'll get many points himself remains to be seen. Uh, And then Marcel Sabitzer um, came in on loan right at the end. Great cover signing while Ericsson is out injured. For draft, he's a consideration, again, as much as sort of Casemiro is, which makes him, well, quite a big consideration at the moment, particularly because Casemiro is uh, is banned for a couple of games. Um, yeah, I'm not expecting him to put up any massive numbers, but he's a pretty solid pair of hands in there. Um, so, yeah, backup keeper, competitive striker and a replacement for Ericsson is a very sensible window. I've given them a B plus. I think Sabitza could be a shrewd addition to partner Casemiro in midfield, who can provide a little bit less wizardry compared to Ericsson, but a lot more sort of warrior mentality. Um, and if we throw the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo into the mix, it's a very decent window. Next is Newcastle. Um Odd window for them. They brought in Amado Diallo. Not really too exciting. Um, obviously, their main new addition, £40 million spent on Anthony Gordon from Everton. Now, I'm yet to encounter anyone that can make the case to me that this guy is worth £40 million. I guess in today's money, £40 million is the new £25 million, which can be seen as buying a decent prospect. But even still, when you consider where Newcastle are and where they're going, I feel the money could have maybe been put to better use. But then... You know, I'm not a Premier League scout, so what do I know? Joe Linton has been good in a forward role, but I think that he is better deployed for them as a sort of box-to-box number eight destroyer type, which means there should be opportunities for Gordon to compete with St. Maxman for that spot in the forward line. Um, But yeah, just doesn't do it for me. I'm not convinced he's sort of that missing jigsaw piece they're looking for, and I've given them a D. On to Nottingham Forest, who continue to be exceptionally busy too. Gustavo Scarpa, we've already discussed on some of the earlier pods. Um, I quite like the look of him. Um, Danilo didn't have a very good game in their last outing, but I think he's got the um, potential to go on to be a decent central midfielder. They brought in Chris Wood on loan, which um, doesn't do much for me. I think he's been pretty poor from what I've seen this season when he's had to come in and cover um, Callum Wilson I think his his time's pretty much up in the Premier League um, I just don't think he, he really does enough anymore John Joe Shelby I really like actually he's another good option they've brought in for central midfield we obviously know what his strengths and weaknesses are from seeing him over the last few years in the Premier League and I think Forrest can make pretty good use of him down down the back end of this season then we get on to some of the more rogue ones uh, Philippe came in um, no longer first choice for Atletico and at 33 will bring a huge amount of experience to the back line, which was clearly the order of the day um, when you combine that with the addition of uh, the next guy who I'll mention. But remains to be seen how much he'll be used given the numbers already there. Yeah, which then brings me on to um, 
Kayla Navas, who I'm having to mention in the same list as Chris Wood uh, and John Joe Shelby as a new signing for Nottingham Forest. So obviously Henderson is is out for a little while and they felt the need to uh, to bring in replacement and what a replacement to bring in. He had a cracking game on his debut um, last weekend against Leeds. Straight in, clean sheet, four saves, two bonus points um, and straight off the mark with a nice nine-pointer and definitely one to grab if you are in need of a goalkeeper in your leagues or if you had Dean Henderson and dropped him for um, somebody that you're not too fussed with, like Neto for Bournemouth. So I've given Forrest an A-, Nothing, you know, they've done all right so far and obviously the goal remains to stay in the Premier League next year. Do I believe these signings make that goal more likely? Yes, I do. And Navas in goal is just an amazing grab with Henderson injured uh, and clearly an upgrade on Hennessy. Scarpa and Danilo give them something different and I still rate Shelby to be able to do a job in the Premier League. The, the problem for Forrest remains as it has done all season, which is whether or not you know all of these guys can be thrown into some semblance of a, a cohesive unit, but I think they'll have enough to stay up. A team I'm not convinced has enough to stay up is Southampton. Um, a couple of their guys I've, I've mentioned in previous pods, Orsic and Alcaraz. Orsic doesn't do much for me and hasn't done much for Southampton so far. Um, same with Alcaraz, not one for draft FBL to consider. Um, they brought in Kamaldine Suleimana for a club record £22 million, young winger from Wren. Um, mediocre numbers, um, you know, what he's put up so far in the French league, but what they're buying is a huge amount of raw talent. I'm just not sure that this was really the time to bring in somebody like him unless they're just planning on cashing in 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 the summer. I just don't know he's going to provide enough to um, to give them the points that they need. Um, they then brought in James Bree, right back from, from Luton. He came straight in and looked pretty poor for, for his debut, so I'm sort of questioning that one. And then Paul Onyachu's come in for some experience up front, which probably won't go amiss. But again, is he going to get them eight, nine, ten goals down the stretch to keep them up. I'm not convinced. I've given them a C minus. Um, again, I guess the fact that they were busy means hopefully one, maybe two of these guys can can pick up some form, but otherwise it was pretty boring and uninspiring window for me. Next is my club, Tottenham Hotspur, who spent £39 million on Pedro Porro. But before that, they brought in Arno Danjuma on loan. Um, now, the Danjuma... The only Dan Juma I had in my head was the one that we saw briefly for Bournemouth when they were last in the Premier League a couple of years ago. Um, and he sort of looked all right, but didn't really produce much. You know, didn't really set the world light. So it was kind of a surprising name to hear that, you know, that we were looking to hijack Everton's deal. Especially when uh, a left-sided attacker didn't really feel like a massive, a massive need for us um, with Son and Richarlison obviously able to play over there. But I guess the main thing is it's another attacking option on the bench. It's another attacking option that um, we're able to deploy in cup games or in the Champions League if we need to. And it might just mean that Richarlison is seen more as uh, backup to Kane than Son moving forward. But as the Champions League gets into the business stages, um, likewise with the FA Cup and obviously the league um, not being able to afford to drop any points, I'm not really sure when he does slot in. Um, obviously he came on for his debut in the FA Cup and got a goal but that game was was already over so yeah I think he really is just 
cover for injuries really and he's he's four or five down the pecking order but um you know i think if you're in a big league i'd pick him up but in most leagues he's not one that i'd be majorly interested in at the moment then there's pedro porro which is obviously where the the money was spent finally the deal got done having been discussed for weeks and weeks and weeks there were lots of good things obviously coming out from his time at um, at Sporting. It sounded like they were pretty loath to let go of him unless it was going to be for good money. Um, and obviously did they did get good money in the end. I will reserve judgment because, you know, judging wingbacks at Spurs or judging fullbacks at Spurs is not easy at all. And we've obviously been burnt a couple of times in, in the last couple of years. So I will reserve judgment until he comes in. Typical, obviously, that Emerson Royale then goes and puts up one of his best performances that I've seen in a long time in that 1-0 win over Manchester City. But I'm sure it won't be long before we see him used. So yeah, I've given Spurs uh, a C. Dan Juma seems like a good lad just to see on loan for a bit. Pedro Porro should be an upgrade, but I'll, as I said, reserve judgment. I'd give the window a B minus, but the bizarre situation with Matt Doherty's contract having to be terminated nudges it down to a C because that was just, um, well, pretty amateur at best. Um, and, and I'm sad to see him go. The West Ham, they brought in Luis Al, um earlier in the window, young 20-year-old Brazilian centre-back from Sao Paulo. Um, it's a position they've obviously struggled with all season and it made it all the more puzzling that Craig Dawson was was pushed out the door. From what I can see, he hasn't even made the bench so far, so possibly just one they're looking at in the development squad um, or one they might try and see you know, in their FA Cup fifth round tie in a few weeks, but not one to consider for now. And then the big move for them was Danny Ings coming across from Aston Villa. Danny Ings obviously loves the claret and blue shirt. Forgetting the fact he got instantly injured, um, which you know he does struggle with, I think this was a great signing for West Ham. They've lacked any sort of form in front of goal and he should at least be able to finish enough moves off for them. Pretty much any of the bottom half teams, I think, would have been glad to employ his services for the rest of the year. Um, and I think he helps them clamber up into safety just. Next is Wolves. Now, I'm having to judge them, having already prepped this stuff um, last weekend before they went and smashed Liverpool 3-0. So I am having to kind of adjust my notes on my feet here a little bit. But I think on the whole, if we look at these individuals they brought in, my opinions haven't moved too much. Um, Cunha has now made four league appearances since arriving. Performances have been all right, but we've not really seen any attacking output yet. So again, not one I'm massively excited for for draft FPL but if you're in larger leagues he looks set on starting most games so I think he has to be picked up by somebody then Craig Dawson as I mentioned already things had just been off with Dawson at West Ham all year so it was only a matter of time before he found a move elsewhere went straight into the 11 for the 3-0 win and 12 FPL points um, with the goal means he's already ahead of Diego Costa's tally for the season I very much doubt the 11 will deviate much from that winning side as we move forward. So Dawson definitely becomes an option if you want a piece of the Wolves defence in a given week. Then Pablo Sarabia. We've seen uh, Sarabia already featuring Wolves' last two Premier League games, including that uh, that win over Liverpool. He's experienced, has an impressive CV in European football and international football. He's versatile, does play mainly off, off that right attacking spot and has goal-scoring pedigree, which is, of course, what Wolves need right now. And if he can chip in with five or six league goals before the end of the year, then I think that will be enough to see them all right. Then finally is Mario Lamina. 
Again, brings a lot of experience to the side, but is not one I'm interested in for FPL, though I think does make Wolves uh, a more attractive option generally moving forward. Um, and I expect them to stay up with the new additions. So yeah, there's a big, long, rambly overview of all the new signings. Um, apologies, it's slightly later than I wanted, but it's been a busy week for me. Um, but it's kind of nice being able to do this, having actually been able to see a lot of these for a week or two now, rather than just pure speculation on on games they've played in European football. If I had to kind of pick out a few names that I'm particularly interested in across uh, across all of um, the teams. I do like the look of Dango Utara for Bournemouth. Badia Shili again for Chelsea. As I've said a couple of times already this episode, I think is a real standout for them and we'll, we'll carry on um, playing centre-back for them down the stretch. Tete for Leicester, I think will be really exciting and it'd be um, yeah fun to see how he fares against the strong opposition that they've got um, for the rest of the February games. As a Spurs fan, I'm, I'm keen to see how Pedro Porro fares coming into the side. But really, the standout signing has to be Kayla Navas for uh, for Forest. really. Just uh, seeing that bloke in a Forest shirt uh, must be pretty surreal if you're a Forest fan. Uh, and I look forward to watching him down the rest of the season. So that's it for this one. The next episode will be coming out almost straight away for the Game Week 23 preview ahead of Friday morning's wave deadline. Uh, and then following this will be another bonus episode um, squeezed in with my updated rankings, which will obviously include uh, a lot of the names and faces that I've just gone through, or any of the good ones anyway, the ones that I've just gone through in this episode. So to keep on top of all the comings and goings, make sure you follow us at draft underscore FC on Twitter. It's also the easiest place to reach out and message us if you have any questions. Make sure you head over to draftfc.co.uk if you haven't already to check out personalised stats for your team and league. Um, There is a free trial if you sign up and haven't signed up before. And make sure that you are subscribed or follow the podcast on whichever platform you generally use to listen to your podcasts. So I'll leave things there. As I said, I've got to run straight into a Game Week 23 preview for tomorrow. Um, But as always, stay shook.